welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. On this episode of All Things, I have something a little bit different to share with you. A couple weeks ago, I was invited by a dear friend to join her and the nonprofit organization that she works with to visit a few farms in Tennessee. The organization is Convoy of Hope, and that name might sound familiar to you because I interviewed the Director of International Disaster Services for Convoy of Hope back in March about the food and relief they were bringing into Ukraine. Convoy of Hope is a faith-based nonprofit organization with a driving passion to feed the world through children's feeding initiatives, community outreach, and disaster response. So while Convoy has had great success over the years alleviating hunger through community-based agricultural projects around the globe, they are now also focusing their attention on food insecurity in the United States. Addressing food insecurity, as you might imagine, in a developed nation like the U.S. is very different from addressing hunger in developing nations. So Convoy is trying to get creative, and they're trying out a number of things. So I had the joy of joining my friend at some community farms in Tennessee, where they not only farm, but they also seek to educate the public on farming. Now, amongst those who are paying attention to food insecurity and agriculture in the United States, there is this growing desire to help Americans become reacquainted with where our food comes from. And on this trip, I definitely learned a ton. I am not someone who is very well acquainted with where my food come from, my food comes from. So I have definitely gardened here and there over my adult years, living in the various places where I have lived. But it was really interesting and even motivating for me to focus on cultivation and creation care and how the average American family, even like my own, can get more active and invested in feeding ourselves. So I came home from the trip eager to help my husband with his ever-growing hydroponics garden in our basement. It really was eye-opening to ponder the science behind farming, but also the spiritual aspects of creation care and community building and loving our neighbors through community farming. So I obviously can't share with you everything I learned on those farms in Tennessee on this episode, but I did record a conversation about midway through my visit there with Dr. Jason Strubel, who um, he will introduce himself in just a minute here. But chatting with him was fascinating because he has worked for years alleviating hunger around the globe. He is a soil scientist and he's also a former pastor. He now calls himself an agricultural advocate as he would love to see all Americans catch a vision for having a backyard garden. As you'll hear in our conversation, Dr. Strubo wants backyard farming to take hold in the U.S. because he sees some alarming trends on the horizon. He would love to see communities mobilize around local farming so that Americans are better fed in the months and years to come. So here are some interesting and somewhat even startling numbers that I want to share with you before I share Dr. Strubel's interview. So in 2020, prior to the pandemic, there was an estimated one in eight Americans who were food insecure. That's over 38 million Americans, and that includes about 12 million children. The USDA defines food insecurity as this, a lack of consistent access to enough food for an active, healthy life. 
But then after the pandemic began in June, 2020, the Brookings Institution found that 27.5% of households with children, so over 25% of homes with kids were food insecure, meaning that some 13.9 million children lived in a house characterized by food insecurity during the COVID pandemic. So food insecurity has historically been a problem in the U.S., in fact, a bigger problem than I was aware prior to this trip, but it really has been worsened by the pandemic. So another factor causing food insecurity to increase is the rise in food prices here in the United States. And you've probably noticed that. I know I certainly have in our family budget. And every time I go to the grocery store, food prices are just way up. And part of that has to do with the rising costs that farmers are facing. One farmer I spoke with said she is now paying three times what she was paying last year for the same equipment and supplies. So obviously, if a farmer's costs are going to increase by 300%, so will the costs that are passed on to the consumer. You'll hear more from Dr. Struble on why food costs are going up and why he thinks the variety of foods that you and I eat are going to go down in the months and years ahead. And then one last interesting and sort of alarming tidbit that I learned from a farmer in Tennessee is that it's projected that over the next five years, 50% of remaining farms in the United States are going to be sold for development. The prices are just increasing for farmers and the reality of farming being just a really difficult job, tough work. Farmers are more willing than ever to sell their farms to developers. So it's interesting to think about and really concerning to sort of think about how that might affect American families over the next several years. Okay, well, without any further delay, let's go ahead and listen in to the conversation that I had a couple weeks ago in Nashville. Well, I am sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee in a living room, and I would love to go ahead and have Dr. Jason introduce who are you and who do you work for? Why are we sitting here in Nashville? So, hi, my name is Jason Struble, and I work for Convoy of Hope. I'm the director, the senior director for the Center for Agriculture and Food Security, and we're here in Nashville with a great group of individuals um, tour, uh, touring some farms and really learning where our food comes from and what are the different things that we can do as individuals and families to care for our families with food and food security, really as it comes to gardening as well. Yeah, so this time in Tennessee has been fascinating for me as I am learning so much about agriculture and as you put it, agricultural advocacy. So I'm familiar with Convoy of Hope, especially what you have done recently in Ukraine, having had an opportunity to interview Jason Graybill or Ryan Graybill um, a few weeks back and just learning about the food convoy, literal convoys going into Ukraine. Um, alleviating suffering and um, hunger in Ukraine at this moment. So Convoy's work is all over the world um, in areas of food insecurity and hunger. You're working to alleviate hunger around the world. Um, but what has been eye-opening on this particular trip for me is learning about food insecurity in the United States. So we're going to, can you sort of give us the big picture of hunger around the world mm -hmm. and what Convoy of Hope is doing to address that and then help us bring it more national, local, just give us some uh, the big vision for um, issues of hunger and agriculture around the globe in 2022. Okay. Um, so when we think of food security and food insecurity, we look at it, there's very technical definitions, but 
Somebody who, when we think of food security, do I know where my next meal is coming from? Yes or no. And food, people who are very food insecure haven't had the calories that they need. It could be for weeks. It could almost be up to months. And when you look at where we're at globally, um, depending on the number that you're looking at, you have almost 800 million people that currently would be considered food insecure. And for many years, that number was actually decreasing. Mm -hmm. But through COVID and through climate, uh, through just climate shock and war and famine, that number continues to actually go back up to, we're seeing numbers in the 820 million, and we haven't seen that in 20 years. So you have that extreme where I don't know where my next meal is coming from, and I haven't in quite a long time, to, which then leads to stunting and wasting. And basically, if you take somebody who is um, stunted, they're too short for their age, and you can't recover from that. And wasting is they're too skinny for their age. And we can kind of recover those pieces, but they have, both of them will have long-term effects health-wise for the rest of their lives. Then you have somebody who is food secure, and in its purest definition, I know where my next meal is coming from, and I don't have to elite, I don't have to change anything on what I eat, and I can choose all of it. So that's the, the full spectrum. A lot of where, when we think of low-income families in the United States, even middle-income families in the United States, even coming to a place where I go into a grocery store and I want to be able to choose this menu to feed my family, if I have to uh, uh, move a different direction because of my income, that starts the spectrum of being food insecure mm -hmm. to where you go into some places in the urban core where the only place you can get fruits and vegetables is actually at the liquor store. Wow. Or you have food deserts where it's over a half mile or and in some cases in rural communities that's a little bit larger where you actually can get to a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And those are some of those definitions. Yeah. When we look at the global perspective and you see where the numbers are, but then also when you think about where we are with supply chains, when we start talking about empty shelves, um, you know, empty shelves on products, then this last, next, this season right now, when you think of farmers in the field, how much money does it cost to grow the crop that comes to the store? Those numbers have increased already 300% this year. Just this year. Just this year. In 2022. In 2022. Wow. So if it cost a farmer $238 to do something, um, whether it's fertilizer, whether it's fuel, mm -hmm. this year it's already costing them over 900 mm -hmm. And that's really universal around the globe. Mm -hmm. But because America is large, such a large producer, it's becoming a really big issue in the United States because of all those different pieces. So you've got food insecurity globally, but then even in the United States, every sector is talking about everything is increasing, it's gonna cost more money, and we have to again focus on some of our regional and local food supplies, because at this point next year, or at this point a year from now, groceries are gonna be really, really expensive, and every sector is talking about that. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more, because 
for, I'm just learning that on this trip, you know, hearing from various farmers, hearing from you, other agricultural experts. I mean, I think I feel like I, I hear a little bit about it in the news. You know, clearly there are um, podcasts that are happening, headlines that I'm reading about um, food, the, the supply chain issues, fertilizer from Russia, you know, recently the Daily covered that. Um, so I'm getting blips of it. But from what I hear you saying is that experts across the board yep. are sounding the alarm that hunger is going to be a really big deal across the globe in the next year, next five years, next decade or so. Um, that kind of blows my mind. We have, you know, as somebody who's I'm in my early 40s, I've never lived through that. That will be unprecedented as the word we use over the last few years. Um, can you just help us understand that a little bit more? Why is this happening? What is going on globally, nationally? What's causing this? It is, food is complicated. And how food gets to your table has multiple factors. And it can be the weather. It can be the cost of fuel. It can be politics. It can be a leader in a country putting a tariff and making it harder to import, harder to export. It can be a terrorist regime that is hoarding the different pieces. It can be um, the fact that we rely on different countries for different goods and services versus producing them locally. So then when you have a pandemic and shipping lines are all shut down, now you're at a spot where they're saying that shipping lanes have been bought out almost five years in advance. And so you've got ships that are being filled that aren't even built yet as large corporations are you know, buying up the shipping space. Same way for rail lines. We have things in the United States called, uh, for example, the Jones Act. The Jones Act was put in place that basically says in order to transport goods and services on American waterways, rivers, it has to be owned by an American company, has to be at an American port and American personnel all the way through. That makes it cost inefficient in the current climate to take a fertilizer source from Florida and bring it up the Mississippi. It's cheaper to bring it in from Russia or from other countries. So you've got politics, you've got all these different pieces. And in the United States, most of us have lost our basic knowledge of where does food come from and how can I grow? The last time we really had a major crisis where most of the United States had to relearn everything was during World War II. And during World War II, you had the world at war, you know, the world was at war, the United States was at war, and so the government started basically mandating that everybody plant a victory garden. And even in the early pamphlets, you have letters from the Department of Agriculture, from the president saying, if you don't know your neighbor, meet your neighbor and plant a garden together. Even if you don't know, like each other, suck it up, we're at war. Wow. And we're kind of at that time where because of all of these compounding factors, it's where everybody probably needs to think about, oh, is there something that I can do this year that'll prepare me for the wor what could be, you know, be something worse mm -hmm. in that following year? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, How are we going to feel this? Like as a, I'm a, you know, middle class American, how am I going to feel? Is it inflation's just going to keep growing? My grocery bill's just going to keep getting higher to the point where my family's going to say, we need to make some cuts. We need to be looking at getting our food in a different way. 
Yes. Is that's what that's what it's going to be like. Yeah, I think it'll it it will be availability for some of the things that we um, used to. You know, when we think about a global market, mm -hmm. we get things from all over the world. Right. But because of shipping and those components, then you'll probably not have as much availability year round. Just won't be able to get it. Just won't be able to get it. Okay. And if we can get it, it will be it will be more, more money. And I think that's where we're going to feel it the first. The first round is going to be just in the pocketbook. You yeah. go to the grocery store now, eggs have gone up, yeah. you know, almost 200%. Sure. Um, and then in the right now, currently, and we haven't talked about it a lot, but there's been a bird flu that's actually hit um, in the middle of January in Europe, in Japan, um, Israel was actually where they found this last round. And even in America, it's already hit and they have um, preemptively killed um, the last number I saw it was I think we're close to 80 million birds here in the United States oh as a preventative measure uh -huh. to and to, yeah, to control that. Wow. And that's why part of the reason why your egg prices are starting to go up. Mm -hmm. And then you'll see Thanksgiving turkey prices go up right. because we're culling animals now to prevent that spread. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a perfect storm, but I think you'll see it in the price. You'll see it in the prices we already have, and it's going to get worse and worse. And you're going to have to then start, with the escalation of gas mm -hmm. and the fact that inflation never really does go down. Right. We're kind of at a new normal and governments generally can't fix inflation. Mm -hmm. And if this government in a, the United States context does, it may be the first time an effective Congress has actually lowered inflation in our current climate. If we have never been able to do this in our history before, I doubt we're gonna be able to do it again. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is for my lifetime, globalization has been kind of handy. <laughs> We've been able to get cheaper goods from all over the globe. Correct. And so for my whole lifetime, that has meant that I'm enjoying products from all over the world right. at a low price. But now because of the confluence of so many factors, um, whether they're political or related to the climate or related to war, um, this supply, this global supply chain is getting blocked up for a number of reasons. Correct. I think so many of us assume that it's short-lived. You know, once the war in Ukraine, for example, gets taken care of, we, we sort of think, you know, next month, grocery prices are gonna go down. Um, just the average consumer, I think that's how we feel about it. But what you're telling me is that's, that's not the case. History tells us that once inflation goes up, it doesn't yeah. go back down. We so. can, our incomes compensate for it. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the 80s when inflation right, was course. and our interest rates were 27%, interest yeah. rates went down but the cost didn't. Yeah, and then the supply chains are also gonna remain interrupted for a long, the, yeah. the ripple effect right. is going to There are still ships in the harbors that haven't recovered and still haven't been able to be offloaded. Yeah, yeah. So um, just making this very practical for myself, for other families, you know, we need to, you're saying, we need to start preparing for this. We should uh, pursue backyard gardening. Yes, I think that every family, I've been telling every family I know, yeah. and I'm not a doomsdayer, but I'm just saying this is the year to do something. And it can be as simple as educating yourself and putting a tomato plant in a five gallon bucket and counting that as a win. And if it dies, it's okay. You learn what not to do because as things get tighter, supplemental, supplementing your groceries is going to be something we're all gonna wanna do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even during the, during the pandemic, you could not get a canning jar or a canning lid yeah. in any grocery store so or any right. farm store. Mm -hmm. So I now, every time I go to the store, 
I'm buying canning jars because they're still in stock. Mm -hmm. So it's just starting something. And it's a win that if you plant a radish this year and that radish grows, you did a radish. You don't have to go and plant 10 acres. Just do something, educate yourself. If your grandparents and your parents are still alive, go ask them what it was like because most of that generation remembers the hardship and they were at least able to prepare. And I think for the church, I don't go down this road because it's not the sector isn't talking about this, but from a biblical perspective, we want to care for our neighbors and being able to be a refuge and be able to prepare food, preserve food, for our community, for our families. It's a gift that we can give to our community, to our neighbors. And if you look at the book of Revelation, regardless if we are in the end times now or not, right. it doesn't get better. <laughs> and so therefore, <laughs> <It's true. laughs> being able to prepare the church yeah. to not be doomed there, not be uber mm -hmm. preppy, you know, yeah. preppers and not yeah. be extreme, but to be a knowledge source and be able to really work with their community, I think it is a great tool mm -hmm. to open up and love your neighbor as yourself mm -hmm. and let that church and let the church be the hub yeah. to make sure that every church has a canner and a dehydrator and some canning jars. Teach workshops on those things so that if it does tank, mm -hmm. hey, we've got resources for you. Grow and we'll, hey, yeah, you can, we can borrow the canner. You can yeah. do those things in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because you have a background as a pastor. You're both a pastor and a soil scientist, yep. as well as an agricultural advocate and somebody who's seeking the alleviation of hunger around the globe and in the United States. So you've got this great, um, you know, combination of um, skills, you know, theology, the science, so many things in, in one mind. Um, so I, I appreciate your perspective very much. Um, speak to that a little bit more about how the church might get involved, why this is an opportunity for the church. Speak to the Christian listener right now who's like, you know, I'm busy, I'm raising kids, I have a career, and now I'm hearing my grocery bill is going to go up and I need to start a backyard garden. I mean, take it, take us, you know, the high level view. Why should Christians care about the, this reality, this um, food shortage that is maybe in our future? Why should we care about that? Um, and what, what are some things we can be doing to love our neighbors, to be a light, to be a city on a hill right now? I think, why, why should the church care? Number one, selfishly, we all need to eat. Yeah. So, you know, it is, you know it, is, it is something to think about. Mm -hmm. But we are, we, the, the church is what God left. Good, bad, or ugly, it's what God left behind. And he wants us to love our neighbor and for us to create things that we can share with our neighbors um, is a gift yeah. to be able to, to give and to be able to work with our neighbors because in the end, everybody's reading Facebook or Instagram these days and it's all over the place. And if everybody's thinking about it except for the church, then in a lot of ways, we just kind of eliminate ourselves from the conversation. And those who are outside of the church, in a way, think we're not relevant. They don't think we're relevant already. But when the world is talking about these issues and we're not even thinking about them, they think that we're 
dumb, ignorant, and unaware. Sure. But if we can at least engage in the conversation, and frankly, I mean, if when, when people are working together in a garden, God designed everything so perfectly that even the, the hardest of heart sees some pretty amazing design in creation. And that allows a person of faith who is authentic, who is working in a garden with somebody, who has diametrically opposed views on, could be absolutely everything, but their hands are both dirty with soil and they're seeing the design of the garden and those things. That part of creation connected with a person living an authentic faith, I think is why the church is here, mm. to be able to bridge that gap. So when the hardest of atheists is going, none of this makes sense and you guys are nuts, but yet you're living authentically and you see that design and you start to talk about it, the Holy Spirit just kind of gets in the middle and God opens up a door for the church to be an amazing tool to bring somebody one step closer to the relationship with Christ. Yeah. Yeah. When you said that back in World War II, everybody had to meet their neighbors and start a victory yeah, garden. Yeah, I've got a book. It's the Garden <laughs> Encyclopedia, the Victory Garden Edition. And there's that. a whole insert like this. And it just says, we are at war, suck it up. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of America having to go across the fence and greet your neighbor and make a friend with your neighbor. I mean, I think everybody agrees we're in such polarizing and divided times that to have to link arms as a community for the sake of one another would actually be really good for our souls and yes. maybe really necessary for our bodies as we move toward what you're saying is coming. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> I really don't. And, um, but if you pay attention, it's the, you hang around soil scientists and agriculture guys long enough, we can be very optimistic or very pessimistic mm -hmm. because we've seen these trends for years, but it's the first time where even I'm telling my friends, yeah. I told, I called my dad and I said, yeah, you need to plant an extra row of beans this year. Hmm. Wow. So speak a little bit more to just creation care. Um, you know, you've kind of alluded to it and in other conversations we've had offline, um, this is maybe a blind spot in the church, which is so interesting. I mean, the secular culture is really focused on climate change and how to care for the earth, mm -hmm. um, putting a lot of hope, and maybe Christians would say too much hope in the earth, um, but it, it feels like it's maybe, we could call it a blind spot in the church. Um, talk to the Christian right now who just feels like caring for the earth is maybe a waste of time or irrelevant or um, you know, just preach the gospel. <laughs> Speak to that Christian who is reluctant uh, to engage in agriculture or to engage in creation care? Um, so somewhere along the line, we took the it's all going to burn <laughs> mm -hmm. theology and really turned that into our creation care aspect that we're not going to be here anyway, so it doesn't matter. Mm. And I would argue that the system that was designed from the ground up, the hierarchy of life, from the DNA in our cells to the biosphere were designed on purpose. And that purpose was to give us everything that we have. And it was designed on purpose by God. And it's awesome. And the deeper we know of the science, the more the science goes, this is amazing. That's God's general revelation. That's God saying, hey, I'm here. 
in that aspect, if we kind of, the church goes through and destroys it, we've kind of destroyed that part of what God's trying to show the world to bring people to him and then connect them with believers. So for, for somebody in the church who is kind of the, it doesn't matter, it matters because that's God's, one of God's tools for revealing who he is. And the other is that, yeah, the world is talking about it. Regardless, if what, regardless of how your politics are and how you feel about climate change, Everybody is talking about it. And if the world is talking about it, we need to be aware of it. And if we don't have an ethic or at least a educational educational base on what that means and what is climate change and why is it important? Why do we need to care for these things? Why can't I just cut a tree and let it go? You know, why can't or why can't I just cut a tree and let soil erosion happen? Because if you continue that, society collapses if we take that view, we have an entire generation right now who is so environmentally aware that they don't even want to come to the church for answers because we don't care about the things that they do. Mm-hmm. And I never want to be in a situation as a pastor or as an individual who, number one, purposely goes out of my way to do bad stewardship because that's not what the text in the scripture says. Yeah because I don't want to squelch yeah. the Holy Spirit's work to bring people to himself. And I never want to be eliminated from the conversation from somebody just because of some, they don't think I care about what they do. Yeah. And for me, from creation standpoint, it's the easiest thing to actually have a conversation about because God designed it so well that if you just pay attention to the details of how he designed, why would you not? want to care for it. It cleans our water. It cleans the air. And there's even some, and there's arguments that can happen scripturally. And I, you know, I dropped out of my MDiv program. So I will, you know, and then went towards soil science. But some would argue that the new heaven and the new earth, um, that actually comes after the thousand year reign of Christ. And so some would argue, we're going to leave ourselves the environment that we get. And so the thousand year reign of Christ, it may be pretty, um, pretty bleak if we destroy our ecosystem. Mm. But, um, well, I think bottom line, it's the reality is that Christians know our creator, right? He is our creator and he's our savior and our sustainer of life. So, um, wherever you are, as you said, politically, spiritually, we love our creator and therefore let us love his creation as well. Not elevate it to some, you know, level, but to care for it and to steward it. The word stewardship is so helpful here. Yeah. Well, this has been really helpful um, in a few ways. I'll be honest. In a couple ways, I feel a little bit fearful <laughs> of the, um, you know, potential for the future, you know, of groceries, um, the prices going up and even being unavailable. You know, that'll be, again, unprecedented, another unprecedented event. But um, it sounds like a lot of experts in a lot of fields think that that is coming. And so I, I love your perspective of let us be a bright light in what could be dark times. Um, and even if the worst doesn't come to pass, <laughs> um, right. then all you've lost is you've learned how to garden. You've learned how to garden. <laughs> and commune with your creator. And create, yes. And so, yeah, just do something. Yeah. Think about it. And the beautiful thing, though, is that when the rest of the world collapses and they don't have faith, even in the worst of times, those of us who have faith have a light 
And when everything else in life hits us, whether it's a food shortage or we get in a car accident, the rest of the world can look at us and say, where's your hope coming from in even the most dire of times? And God will use that. And that's where faith comes in and prayer and just trust in Jesus and knowing that he's got it all under control. Amen. He is good. He is good. Okay. Well, thank you, Jason, for this really helpful conversation. I'm grateful. Thank you. Well, hopefully that conversation was interesting and enlightening for you. I know it was for me. Whatever the future holds for us regarding food in the United States, I am taking away a couple things from that. First, I do feel freshly motivated to grow some of my family's own food. For one, getting my hands in the dirt in Tennessee was a blast, and it was even therapeutic in a way. It's definitely gratifying to grow something and then eat it, so we're going to do more of that in the Oshman household. Secondly, I have a renewed sense of wanting to care for both creation and my community. I love the idea of gathering with neighbors around the activity of gardening. So I'm on the lookout for how my family can get more involved in that as well. And lastly, I want to give to and serve with organizations that are caring for those who hunger, both around the world and here in the United States. So as always, do check out my show notes. They are full of articles, as always, relating to today's topic, as well as a link to the good work that Convoy of Hope is doing. And lastly, if you guys do start gardening out there, post pictures and tag me in them or send them my way in the DMs. I'd love to see what you're doing this summer for your gardening purposes and get some inspiration from you and your backyard garden. You can also keep an eye on my Instagram feed for photos of our basement hydroponics garden. So thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're